in the right motives, the right person with the right motives, the right persistence, right the right disciplines, and all those right things are, are measurable through the personality and their track record of what they've done in life. Think about when you get married to anybody, and we're getting married to franchisees as a franchisor. If you got married to a partner, you're not marrying them today. You're you're marrying their how long they've been alive. Maybe they're 30 years old, and you're 34, and they're 30 or whatever. It's 64 years of history you bring to the table. And what's in that history? So like that's the things that I would have, going back, you asked earlier, like what would you change? Having a better now knowing and going back and fixing, spending more time on the historical data of a prospect, doing a better job researching their track record. Because most people, unfortunately, are like a dog. They return to their vomit. So I mean, if you want to predict the future, you create it. It's really easy. You don't create it. Your habits do. So show me a person's habits, and I'll sh- I can tell you exactly how much is in their checking account every time. Welcome to the Home Service Expert, where each week, Tommy chats with world-class entrepreneurs and experts in various fields like marketing, sales, hiring, and leadership to find out what's really behind their success in business. Now, your host, the Home Service Millionaire, Tommy Mello. Before we get started, I wanted to share two important things with you. First, I want you to implement what you learned today. To do that, you'll have to take a lot of notes. But I also want you to fully concentrate on the internet. So I asked my team to take the notes for you. Just text NOTES, N-O-T-E-S, to 888-526-1299. That's 888-526-1299. And you'll receive a link to download the notes from today's episode. Also, if you haven't got your copy of my newest book, Elevate, go check it out. I'm going to share with you how I attracted and developed a winning team that helped me build a $200 million company in 22 states. Just go to elevateandwin.com forward slash podcast to get your copy. Now, let's get into the interview. All right. Welcome back to the Home Service Expert. You guys know me. I'm Tommy Mello. Today's going to be super fun. Very rarely. Last guy I got that owned a pretty large franchise was Kevin Wilson. He ended up selling to Neighborly. Uh, Mosquito Joe's fantastic guy. Today I've got Kevin Newton. He's at his private hangar. Looks like he's got his plane in the background. Just Kevin is an expert in customer service management and sales training. He's based out of Indiana. He's the president and chief executive officer at Honest Abe Roofing. Kevin Newton is the founder and CEO of Honest Abe Roofing, America's largest, most successful roofing franchise that focuses on consultations, installations, and repairs. Drawing inspiration from successful businesses and other industries, Kevin embarked on a mission to transform Honest Abe Roofing into more than just a roofing company. He recognized the importance of operating like a retail business, emphasizing advertising and customer service as key pillars for success. By adopting this mindset, Kevin was able to scale the company and expand its operations, allowing for the hiring of more employees. Kevin Newton's leadership and innovative mindset have shaped Honest Abe Roofing into a trial-blazing force in the industry. Kevin, I really appreciate you making time to do this today. That's awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I flew in just for this, so <laughs> thanks for your patience. Yeah, so listen, um, really appreciate this. Probably, since this is live, there might be some questions, but i just like to hear the story about yourself, what the, the story behind Honest Abe and about you becoming a successful business leader. 
Oh my, that's, that's like three questions in one. Which one do you want to break down the, the, the quickest or the easiest for you? Me and or the franchise or leadership? Well, I think they kind of move together. I mean, yeah. what's your story before you started it? And then what was your goal and where are you guys at today? Well, I'm 45 years of age. I've been around the sun 45 times. I'm on my 46 trip, so I'll be 46 in July. And back in 1996, I was in high school, graduating, and I was in a building trades course here locally in Indiana. And I was somewhat intrigued with the, we built a house actually in school. All the students came together in the school system, and there's three high schools here locally, and all the kids would come together on uh, the first and last part of the school day, I guess we call a three-hour course. So the last part of the day, you'd be uh, at the trades, or the first part, you'd be at the trades. Anyway, so actually, the school system would build a house with kids, and they would sell the home at the end of the school year. And a lot of times, the house is pre-sold and pre-planned, a lot of fun stuff that's made it a lot easier. But it was fascinating to see the process, and shoot, I was 17, I didn't know really anything about construction and so on and so forth. But one day they brought in a union trade rep. The carpenters union trade rep came in and spoke to us. Most of the class was all boys at the time. And I think we had one lady in the class and he was kind of a rough fella. You all are probably going to be the last group of kids that's going to be left in the building trades industry in the future. At the time, everybody was fearful about everybody's going to be working computers, technology. This is back in 96 and they were concerned about the pool of talent in the future to be able to humans in America to be in the trades. And I thought, that's an interesting opportunity to me as a 17-year-old kid. I, think, I like the way that sounds because if it's not a lot of competition. I mean, who likes competition? I don't like You like competition, Tommy? I don't like competition. I prefer to dominate. I don't want to compete with nobody. And I knew that when I was a kid. And that's interesting. So anyway, long story short, the next day, 17-year-old kid here, well, I guess we, the terminology we use is entrepreneur. And I was always cutting grass, doing things of that nature around the neighborhood, knocking doors and just trying to pick up an extra buck or two here or there. And I thought this would be great. I could do this. I just went through this class for a whole year. And this is towards the end of the semester, my last year in high school. I can surely do this. And so I put an ad in the newspaper. Basically, Jack of all trades, master of nothing was kind of the deal. And of course, that was the advertisement for the most part. If you want a building built, I can build it. If you want to fix your dog door and your back door of your home, I can take care of that too, which I really couldn't do either one of those, but I definitely perhaps stretched the truth on that. That's how it all started. I started right there in high school. I've never had a chance to be employed by anybody else. I've never filled out a job application. So I don't know what it's like, which is somewhat, this is a future conversation, perhaps later we can talk about. But I'm not sure what it's like to be on somebody else's team so or to understand the stresses and the burdens potentially as a team member on working for a different company. But that's how it all started and for a decade. I mean, I worked my butt off for 10 straight years. I was working so hard on a job. I'm sure everybody watching yourself, Tommy, you know what it's like to work hard. Most people, I would say this country do work hard. That was the biggest failure I had was working hard on the work. And I realized, man, I'm working so hard. I, was, I grew the business. Don't get me wrong. I, it's a general construction business. I was, once again, jack of all trades. I was doing everything. I mean, light commercial, light industrial, building homes. It was crazy. And you know what? It's like usually a successful business yourself. And think about all the trades you need, skill sets for each team member if you're running multiple disciplines inside the organization. I was doing HVAC, wiring, plumbing, drywall, foundations, concrete. If you name it, we, we were doing it. I had it all in-house. And 
keeping it, finding people first and foremost was difficult. And I kept remembering what that carpenter rep said from the union back in the high school. And he's so right. Anyway, at the end of that first 10 years of being a general contractor, I was about 26 years of age. And I was telling you, I was flat broke. I was miserable. <laughs> I mean, it was fear around me. It was just bad. I was working every hour you could on the job. And long story short, there's a lot more to it, but we'll just, for the audience's point of view and to, for time's sake, let's get to the where we're at today. So 10 years went by, wore out, exhausted, broke. Perhaps that story sounds familiar. And you're working hard. I'm sure you had parents, Tommy, that told you, work hard. And I saw a guy in Florida earlier, I came from, and he was like, man, you just got to work hard. I was like, hey, man, yo, the slaves worked hard. They weren't successful. Like, how do you measure success? If I'm measuring it on ability to control my environment and do what I want to do when I want to do it, I'm not successful. Yeah, I'm working hard, but I don't, I'm not getting the fruits of what I was told from my parents. Like, work hard. It's not working. So I had to refocus on the work. I had to start working harder on myself and becoming a better version of myself and improving myself until I did that. I couldn't become, you know, if you want extraordinary income, you have to become an extraordinary person. And I wasn't that. I was just a hard worker. If you knew me then, like, that guy's a hard worker. But I wasn't working hard on the right thing. So finally, after a decade of that, I had a friend that switched his business model. We were speaking about pre-show. And he was a plumber, general contractor, plumber, little jack of all trades, plumber, doing new construction, doing rough ends and all that stuff, you know, bid work, bidding for it. So when you're bidding for work, you know, you're most likely the lowest bidder. And that's highly marked, highly profitable for sure, being a lowest bidder, which puts you in a position of trying not to lose, which I'm not sure about you, but who wants to try not to lose all day? I'm trying to win. And when you're operating on bid and lowest bid and price wins and all that crap, you're in trouble. That's what I was doing for a decade. He finally told me, hey, listen to me, you got to stop it. Quit trying to do everything. Get singular. Focus on one thing. I have no idea what the one thing is, but you need to figure it out. I'm doing this now. I'm a residential plumber. Now, I've joined this franchise, and it's going to be amazing. Well, he just started, and I'm like, man, you're so crazy. That's never going to work. You know, I was the typical naysayer, Mr. Dream Stealer, taking all his dreams from him. That You're nuts. You, How dare you leave the fold of misery? And so I went with him to one of his meetings, and I was like, holy cow. And just so many lights went off, or they didn't go off. Lights were turned on. I was like, man, I'm doing it so wrong. So I went back and developed a plan. This was 2006. The plan to start a business that was singularly focused in the red central space where Paul and Mary Lunchbox lives, where I can serve them, because that's the only place you can have marginal success, I feel, at a high level, and got real singular. And I was in a roofing space back in 2006. In 2007, I launched the concept of what we're doing today, which took longer than I hoped. I think a lot of us get stuck in trying to perfect things. I kind of got perfectionist in me, and I got off track a little bit. So it took me a little longer than I wanted to. I started the company with the idea of franchising, creating a vehicle that could take allow somebody who had certain attributes and skill sets, but didn't know where to deploy them in, but they wanted some type of, they wanted something more in life. It's like this plane behind me, this Honda behind me. Like there's a TBM back here, and there's an old Warbird in this hangar. Like these are all different vehicles. They all do similar things, but they have different missions. And what I was doing in the roofing space, as we all know, and Tommy, you know for sure, like roofing and really all home service businesses today are highly fractured. I don't care which one it is. They're all pretty fractured. There's no market leader you took the survey of every American that owned a home, that there wouldn't be a common name coming up, maybe, but very few that I could think of across all the service brands. Anyway, so I got singular. The idea of starting a company was to create a franchise system. We did that. It took a little longer than I wanted to, just because I was scared. I'm not afraid to admit it. 
just, man, I'm not sure it's going to work. A lot of doubt there. And it's all this legal stuff you have to do, FDDs and SEC and all these requirements and certain amounts of monies and blah, 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 blah. It's, man, it's like, well, this is crazy serious. It's pretty crazy serious. And so I did it. 2018, we launched and sold our first franchise, and he's still up and going and highly successful. I mean, his first year did 3.6 million. He's up to four years into it. He's up to uh, I think he's going to clear his contract to 13 million this year in a single location. So pretty cool to watch our vehicle help people become what they wanted to be. And truly, that's that's kind of the high level there, Tommy. I apologize for moving fast, and that's 15, 17 or 20. What's that? 20 plus years of history there, pretty much. In, 10 seconds or 10 minutes. So. No, it was great. No, it gives us a lot of context. I'm just curious now, going back to, uh, I mean, I guess it was 2018, Yeah, but you took 12 years to kind of design this platform, if I'm right, 2006 yeah. to 2018. So if you could go back and talk to yourself in 2017 before you launched, was there any things you would have done differently? Would the franchise model still be the way? You got the FTC, you got the SEC. There's all kinds of things that could go wrong with the way you do things and pulling franchises away and legalities. Would you still do a franchise and what else would you do differently? Yeah, that's a great question. I've had this conundrum mentally, internally in the past of, would you do it again? And there's days I would say, no, I wouldn't franchise. But there's two reasons we have to go back to the whys of why we do things. And money for me is not a driver, and money's a bad driver anyway. If anyone's trying to do something because of money, like you're never going to get it. You're wasting your time. So let's go ahead and quit. The money's not, I mean, it's everywhere. So if you want it, just go get it. But if, you're, if that's the goal, it's kind of a weak goal. That The thing for me was developing a platform for other people could become what they wanted to do with their lives and give them the fuel, the rocket fuel. It's like we all need gasoline for our cars. If you have a car that's on gasoline, this jet needs jet fuel. But I don't like jet fuel. You probably don't like gasoline. I don't dream about gasoline. I don't dream about jet fuel. But I do dream about where it gets me. So cash is the same thing. I need money to get me where I want to go. So this is the vehicle. Our franchise is the vehicle to do that. But that being said, that's one of the reasons, one of the whys I did it. The second reason why I did it was to be able to scale rapidly without having to use my own cash flow or capital. As you know, if, if anybody here listening has did greenfield locations, new locations and new territories that you have no penetration in, then, my goodness, you know the financial burden that takes, potentially. You can do it at different structures, different levels, don't get me wrong. But if you're going to go in greenfield location, new location, let's say we go to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and we're going to go greenfield on is A1 doors, and we're yeah. going to open a new location. If you have a certain structure in place on square footage and number of trucks and humans and core peoples and all these nuances that you know it takes to operate at the level you want to operate in that location, there's a certain amount of money it takes to do that day one and then to support it until it become cash flow positive. So taking that in consideration, it made a lot more sense in my financial state at that point in time to allow somebody else to take that burden on. I made that took the risk from the financial burden of doing all the things we spoke about in the background, the FDD, the SEC filings and registrations, all the states, all those nuances. But it's far less expensive doing that than it was to buy 100 vehicles and then either doing leasing or you're going to lease them and lose the depreciation. You're going to buy them and gain the difference, figuring all this out. And they're going to lease property or buy a property through a different own corporation and structuring all that. So I figured, how about we just do what the Bible says? And the Bible tells me that the borrower is slave to the lender. I like the way that sounds. I, if I'm going to be in that structure, I'd rather be the lender and you be my slave. 
You're thinking, though, but that's talking about money. It is, or is it? It's also talking about anything you lend somebody. I'm lending the system, the procedures, the skill set, the knowledge, the insights, the track record, and a ramping to get you to where you want to go rap- more rapidly you could do by yourself. So I'm lending that out, and, of course, that earns tax back or a payment or a royalty, we call it, the franchising. So I just get a small part of the action, or I could greenfield it and get a large part of the action. But truly, you're not getting a large part of the action. You may get a touch bigger, but... Not really. I mean, just because you had, I could do five hundred million in revenue, and that's great, and be in charge, have that cash flow to live out of, or through. But truly, that's working capital, and it's great to have that. You could show that, and for different opportunities, you want to lend or borrow against it. But that's a whole different story. Anyway, so yeah, so we live on the other side of the structure. We get paid for knowledge we we provide people to create the structure and lifestyle they want using our platform. So we lend that out and they borrow it. They borrow it for seven years and they pay a, a royalty on that. And if they want to renew, they can renew at the end of the seven years and keep moving. So it's worked out well. But to answer your question, going back, would I do it differently? Uh, some things definitely would do a little different, but not when it comes mechanically to how we go to market because the technology wasn't there then. You and I surely know of some technologies today that weren't available 10 years ago. And it wouldn't be a fair situation to say not really fair or right situation because it wasn't there. So we couldn't really utilize those things. But definitely some choices on people and on franchisees and things of that nature. Definitely some legal decisions that were made I would have done differently for sure. Don't be the guy who's responsible for all the financing. Don't be that guy. So that could cost you. If a franchisee goes sideways and they're riding on your coattails, that could be bad. I wouldn't do that again. Learn that lesson. So definitely some lessons, but definitely I, I would franchise again. And we're, we're excited about offering new brands in the future in the home service spaces and some other spaces also that we believe people are in, interested in. And they just need some help in the structure. And so many people have the talent and the skills, but they have some fear. And they just want somebody to come alongside them and help them through it and give them some instruction book on how to get there. And we're excited about that. And that's what we do here. So I look at a lot of franchises. and. I mean, I know a lot of them. Sure. And I don't think a lot of the people, I meet a lot of people. I, I speak at a lot of shows. I, we have a couple of shows ourselves. We got a new one in November in Orlando called the freedomevent.com. And I just, a lot of people go, I want to franchise my business. And I look at them and I go, How big are you? What percentage bottom line are you making? And do you have the SOPs, the CRM, the chart of accounts, the hiring processes to scale? And I look at a lot of businesses, and now that I'm in 36 markets, all ran, I'm the CEO of it. I think I understand what the franchise model takes. You know, I had Michael Gerber on here, who basically, he talks about every business being a franchise model. Set up the systems and let the systems build the business. I think there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. I mean, you could probably tell us some of them because I'd love you to kind of explain to everybody listening who thinks they could possibly franchise what some of the hardships are. Number one, the legality. You're going to spend a half a million, I think, on an attorney at least if you're going to do it right. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to do it right, you can spend a quarter million and do it wrong. They end up paying another 500. So now it's three quarters of a million. So it depends on when you want to spend it. So it's going to be less of a burden to do it early to find the right people. For sure. And what else are you thinking about if somebody's out there saying, I could franchise this? I, yeah, I sure. Could. Michael's on point. His point's valid. It's 
every business is a franchise at the end of the day because every business, if it truly is a business, is a repeatable process which anybody should be able to walk in and follow the procedures. But in reality, that's not the case. That is the case in the mind of the owner, and it's all they are. They're a prisoner inside their own prison. They're the warden and the prisoner in the prison that they own. And you know those people. I can never go on vacation. There's no way I can leave here. If I leave here, the place won't run. Blah, 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 blah. But I'm going to franchise it. I'm like, what? You're going to do what? Oh, it's amazing. The, the ideas are great. My marketing's on point. I'm like, okay, cool. So what exactly are you franchising? I make cupcakes. I'm confused. Like, what's the business model? Cupcakes. I'm like, okay. I got really good cupcakes. I'm, I'm sure you do. I'm sure they're amazing. But I don't understand the business model. Walk me through it. You sell cupcakes. People love cupcakes. You do birthday parties. Oh, I, I get it. So what's your POS system like? What's that? That's your point of sales process. Like, tell, Walk me through that. How is it automated to the point where I could hire high schooler to run the company? There's no way that would work. You can't franchise yet. Oh, but my ideas are on point. I'm sure they're on point, but you don't have the systems and procedures figured out. You know, for us, we're moving towards where there's no humans left. Like There won't be any people left. There'll be the owners of territories and some back office people, but there won't be any in-home people ever. I mean, that's the model for us that we're getting, I could be hurting people's feelings, but it's not 1990 anymore. Like it's ancient fractured market. <laughs> I mean, it's embarrassing how people operate today. And it's still operating the same way they were operating when I was in high school, doing estimates, going to people's houses and stuff, and like sitting down with Paul and Mary lunchbox, trying to hard close them, sharp angle. I mean, if you want to sharp angle close, I can give you a lesson. I can close every deal, no problem, easy. Like I'm your guy. And that's what we did for years. And we still do it. And it's still part of the process. But how many deals can you close today? I'm off the rabbit trail here, Tommy. I'll, let me finish the point. Let me get back to your question. But I mean, how many deals today can you close? You've got 15,000 team members and 10,000 go to the houses. You can only close. If they go run, they do two calls a day, they potentially could sell 20,000 opportunities. If they sold all of them. And what are the odds that's happening? The average close ratio of professional communicator in our country in the home improvement space is 10%. So it's not real good. Now, some companies have 30, 40, we've got 60%, whatever, but that's we're outliers. Your group's probably an outlier too. Like you're just doing better and better. So you've got the right system procedures in place, you get the right training, you get support. But most companies don't have that. They don't focus on any of those things. And that's the biggest part of franchising. Back to your question, what does it take and why do people think they can do it? I think they have a novel idea that is a good idea. Like they got a good thing, they got a good widget. And sometimes the widget is franchisable. But perhaps the person can't do it themselves. But a true franchise, and, and that's Michael Gripper was saying to you and your audience, the widget's not important to me. Like the widget, like who cares about the widget? You know this, I'm sure. Perhaps you'd agree with me. I don't know if you would or not. But if you're running multiple disciplines in a, in a similar vertical, the process and systems are all pretty similar. It's the widgets, like it could be overhead doors or plumbing. It doesn't really matter. It, there's, there's humans, there's trucks, there's processes, systems, KPIs, there's, there's CRMs, there's POSs. There's, all this is very relative. And once you have a system in place that functions well, you should be able to navigate that from afar without being in the business every day. And that's a true thing that most entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs are wanting from a franchise system. They say things like this, I want more time. When they come see me, I want more time in my life to do the things I want. I'm like, okay, you might as well have a kid. What? Yeah, you might as well have a kid because you're crazy. Like You can't start a business and have more time. It's like having a kid. You don't have a kid to have more time. That's stupid. 
So it takes a huge amount of time to run any kind of business. I don't care if you have system procedures and all the things in place or not. Like you said earlier, it's it's not hard work. It takes a lot of discipline and persistence to operate successfully in any space, if you have systems or not. But definitely we see throughout the marketplace in any business, most franchise businesses, not most, truly all franchises as a, in totality, operate at a higher success level of staying engaged in the marketplace longer than single-owned locations. I mean, you know, 80, well, 80% fail in the first year of personal businesses in this country, and, and the numbers are much stronger for franchise systems. So anyway, I see those people, and most of them are living on a pipe dream. It takes a huge amount of work. You do have to have the process of systems in place, and Michael's correct once again, but most people don't have it documented. They can't train. If you can't take a simple person and your processes can't allow them to do what you can do. And most, can we face it, Tommy? I bet you're, come on, man. You're probably highly skilled in all areas, more so than most people that you come across. You probably have very few friends that are true friends. And when you meet new people, you're guarded and you don't let them into your life because you're like, you value your time because you're not going to waste time with somebody who doesn't have the same outlook, core values, belief systems. And, and they, you're not going to sit around and small talk. You want to talk about big things that change direction, increase success or whatever you're trying to measure and that's the challenge with people like it's you've got to get the system procedures in place and most people can't do that when it comes to i've got a franchise idea yeah cool what is it and you start working through it with them you can take ideas or you can take an idea and help them to really turn it into process and systems but the measurable for us going back down the memory lane to really finish off your question and i do apologize for bloviating is we had to make it stupid simple where this is face it you and your listeners, I'm sure, we can only attract people to us that are just almost as good as we are. We're not going to attract people who are eons, that's right? pretty extreme, that are levels above us in skill set and talent, communication level, and insight. You may meet them and get to know them, and maybe probably for most of us, they become mentors. And then we may move up to that level, and at some point we can work together, but in your current structure, we're only going to attract people almost as good as we are, a little bit below us. In the franchise world, if you're bringing in average per people out of middle management, the owner franchise, that person as a leader is only going to attract people as good as them or a little bit less. So think about that as a system. We're not putting you as CEO, Tommy. We're putting Jim, who is managing a regional location from Walmart and had three territories under his belt. And he's dealing with a lot of people, but he was dealing with supplies and people not coming to work and all good stuff, but different discipline can definitely be utilized. But the focus of raising a child is a little bit different because what business is, if you ask me. So anyway, you look at like Chick-fil-A and I think they've done a really good job, but th these companies have been around a long time. They didn't just come about two years ago, but they get more applications for their franchise, but it's almost like a lottery. It's really hard to become a franchise owner there. I think they do a great job painting the picture and showing them the life they're going to live, but it's going to take hard work. My buddy Lance always says, dude, when you sell and we partner together, it doesn't mean you get to drop your kids off of school if that's not what you did before. You're going to bust your butt. This is going to be hard work. I tell people it takes five years to build a decent business, even if I give you all the formulas. Like, you got to show up. You got to be involved in the community. You got to work nights and weekends. You got to give up some relationships that make it tough. Business is not easy, especially if you're growing. But what do you think Chick-fil-A does so good? And what do you think some of the biggest franchises, all your problems are within four walls? 
at a restaurant. Yep. Whereas ours are everywhere that a technician has to be. So what do you think that that a good franchise does well? Uh, That's a great question. Uh, Those, when they're inside your own walls like that, definitely have more control. I'm sure like, like yourself, you dream of having an operation like that. What we do, I mean, you have in, inside folks, administrative staff, you have technicians that could be 80 miles away from the home base or out in these mobile warehouses on wheels that could crash into a kid and kill them. So there's a lot of things going on across the country when you have technicians and vehicles and so on and so forth. I'm sure you've experienced that, hopefully not to death, but just crazy things happening. And when they're inside your own walls, you definitely have more control over that, for sure. On that question about qsr i'm not an expert in that space so everything i would say would only be my personal opinion which probably not worth much when it comes to qsrs what little i know about the chick-fil-a model is don't hopefully if they're list they can email me at kevin at onsiteroofing.com and give me some hate mail that'd be fine they're enslaving an owner to be a full-time employee who doesn't get reimbursed ethically you're basically enslaving a human. You, you tell they get part of the action, but really they're getting $110,000 a year to run a $3.8 million operation. I pay my receptionist more than that. So I don't understand that model. And maybe I'm wrong in the model. I don't study it, but from what I hear, I'm, I know a couple of those guys and they say they call themselves owners, but they don't own anything. They don't own the real estate. They don't own the building. So what exactly are they owning other than an imprisonment and full-time slavery? Uh, that's just my personal opinion. I don't think it's a good model. I think it's a terrible model. I think it's a great model for corporate, for Chick-fil-A. I think it's a terrible model for the individual, personally. Now, here's what I like about it. If I think it's a great model for the right person who doesn't want the responsibility of doing all the things you'd have to do in maybe a typical franchise or in your own business because you have the financial backing going into the deal with everything's fronted for you and paid for. You're just committing to being a full-time overseer of all the processes. I don't know the back-end structures for that. I apologize. I'm sure I'm out of term. If anyone's with Chick-fil-A and you're upset, then you can email me. We can talk about it. But I am probably ignorant on it. But from the people I do know who own things here locally, they love it. They do love it. But I'm like, man, really? Like that's To me, it sounds like prison. I don't really want to go to prison. That's just me. There's some of the QSRs, though, that are highly successful and I, I think the different models they're similar models to how you operate our franchise it's you're in control of it you obviously have to follow system procedures and stay pay attention to the brain itself and keep the integrity of the system intact in the marketing standards and all these nuances but the chick-fil-a thing baffles me so I, i'll get at that point i don't want to offend anybody i i don't understand it so maybe you do Tommy. you can correct me i i just don't quite get it it's like the stake the staking shake is that way now. They advertise and become a franchisee for ten thousand dollars, earn a hundred thousand dollars a year. Make a ten thousand dollar investment and you'll earn a hundred thousand a year. That okay. I mean, if that's all you want to earn, you think that's all you're worth is a hundred grand? Whatever. You know, that's that's not my decision. But to me, like a hundred grand. Well, I think it makes McDonald's. I look at McDonald's on the other hand, and I like their franchise because you go to the school. And I've never met one franchise owner at McDonald's. Usually they own one, then they own two, then they own three, then they own four. Yes, they got to be able to do the work because they got to be able to understand what you go through. But I think the main goal, like you said, you've got 103 territories, you've got nine major owners. Tell me, I'm curious, if you could go back in time, how much more emphasis would you put on making sure you get the right owners versus just who's ever willing to pay the fee? 
Yeah, that's probably the best question anybody could ask in business in general and really every walk of life that you're a part of throughout, first of all, starting relationships. How about the right friends? How about not good friends, the right friends? Because good is not right. And then how about the right marriage with the right person and then the right business team members and then the right franchisees? Good franchisees are good, but good, once again, is not right. And we want right. You don't want good. The good's not good. Right. Well, you want right. And right has to be based upon measurable, based on desired outcome, based on target that we're all shooting for. So once you have to distinguish what right looks like. So to answer your question, for us, we were, and for me, this is my fault. It's not really a fault. It's just like you don't know what right is out of the gate. I would tell you right was me, but I'm not a franchisee. And I wouldn't make a, a good franchisee. I'm not. Okay? Like, no, I'm not a franchisee. I'm a franchisor. I wouldn't be a good franchisee. The right franchisee has a target mind, revenue generation-wise. It's maybe not grandiose. It's just It could be 110 grand a year, but most of them, my people all want you know, seven-plus figures of net money after taxes, which is more like it. And the right motives, the right person with the right motives, the right persistence, right, the right disciplines, and all those right things are, are measurable through the personality and their track record of what they've done in life. Think about when you get married to anybody, and we're getting married to franchisees as a franchisor. If you got married to a partner, you're not marrying them today. You're you're marrying their however long they've been alive. Maybe they're 30 years old, and you're 34, and they're 30 or whatever. It's 64 years of history you bring to the table. And what's in that history? So like that's the things that I would have going back you asked earlier, like what would you change? Having a better now knowing and going back and fixing, spending more time on the historical data of a prospect, doing a better job researching their track record. Because most people unfortunately are like a dog, they return to their vomit. So I mean, if you want to predict the future, you create it. It's real easy. You don't create it, your habits do. So Show me a person's habits, and I'll sh- I can take exactly how much is in their checking account every time. So that's the thing today. If I could, it's hard to dissect and understand what a person's habits are in an interview. So take some time. I, I would spend more time going backwards on getting to know people in a way in which we could see more of their habits to ensure that they'd have a better future because we create our own futures. But we do that through our habits. So that leads some insight, I would say, on that topic. Yeah, I would say that I do a better job recruiting than I do hiring, meaning that I pull people from another job and I teach them a skill. They've already got their mindset. They've already got the right habits. They've already know how to smile, eye contact. They enjoy life. They, yes. you know, they might not do a perfect morning routine, but they're hard work and they enjoy what they do. They don't hate Mondays. And you get that uh, person. Yeah. You know, and you get that right person on a, um, but I've had a plenty of bartenders, busboys, Amazon people, people at hotels. I like finding people in the hospitality industry that just are they're sincere. They make eye contact. You take those people and you put them into a career. And I do think a franchisee is more of a career than an ownership. But what's great about it, if you do it right, there's a lot of hard work, but it's, you're taking a proven track record. You don't have to go and start from, okay. For example, Chick-fil-A, they've got their menu. They got exactly what it needs to look like. You know, if you were to go do this Greenfield, like you said, 
it's really, really hard to make a lot of money your first you know, few years, unless you've got a lot of money to invest and you've done it before. But if you're going to go out there and make all the mistakes that I made my first decade, that's why I have this podcast. I tell people, listen, all my mistakes I'm sharing with you, it's not because I'm good or bad. It's because I've made these mistakes. I don't want you to make the same ones. Pick a great CRM, you know, get the right trucks with the right wraps and make it a standard truck. I learned a lot of this stuff from Al Levy, but you know, I, I think that a lot of it goes into just like we've hired a lot of people. If I was going to do a franchise, I'd make sure you understand the good, bad, and the ugly. You understand what this is expected. This doesn't mean it's a uh, nine to five Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you're going to take four day weekends every week. And it's front loaded. It's a lot of hard work. And I do think a franchise or, you know, should really help with the hiring process and the training. Like we've got our own training school. We recruit, you know, 20, 30, sometimes 50 people a month. And you got to go through as a technician, two months of training before you're even allowed to step foot in a garage. And we give you your tools, your vehicle. You've got a market acceleration trainer. You've got all these resources. You've got manuals. You've got video training. More importantly, you got on-the-job training. You're riding along with some of the best in the industry. And you're seeing it. You're understanding what personality you adapt to the most because not every person is the same. Some people are a little more introvert. Some people are really talkative. We teach them disc assessments. We go through a lot, a lot of training. And one of the things I had a buddy of mine, actually the CEO of Nexstar, he came in and he said, your hardest part about your growth is going to be developing leaders. Because leaders, just because you're good at sales doesn't mean they're going to be a good manager. And I'm sure you know that. That's a big mistake. People take their best salesmen and say, manage these people. But yeah, I I think you're dead on with just, you got to be able to... (laughs) I don't know how you do it. The hardest part is don't hire somebody that's broke, especially for a franchise. Say, hey, I don't have any money. I don't own a house. I don't have really a whole lot of obligations. I know that sounds really bad, but if they barely got enough money to get into the franchise, what habits have led them to that? Right. That's the lesson. That's the lesson for, I would say, every franchisor, really every business owner has to understand. I talk to a lot of P&E groups every week. And they're always asking these questions because all they care about what's it look like in 60 months, where can we ramp to, what's a waterfall event, blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, cool, great. I don't care. They don't know. Here's what I know. You're, you're all wrong. <laughs> you know, I know what you're focusing in the wrong spot. I get it, though. I understand the model, but you don't understand the concept. So, but your point is valid. And that goes back to high school. And we spoke about that union rep that came in. There's not going to be any trade people in the future. And you nailed it. You've got your own university. You have your own curriculum. You're doing the work yourself because society can't produce your people that you need to run your company successfully. You've got to take responsibility to do that. And very few people are disciplined enough to develop teachers, leaders, and people who can motivate and inspire the right people. There's no sense hiring a fool and training them. You just have a highly trained fool or a highly motivated fool. you got to have the right people. I don't care what business you're in, if it's a franchise, if you're selling cheeseburgers. The right people do the right things at the right time for the right purposes. And that's the lesson that everybody has to hear and focus on in any business, no matter where you're at. If you're a single operator, there's 20, what, 26 million businesses in the U.S.? 23.5 million of them have one team member, the owner. So if that's the case and you're getting ready to scale to two people, like get the right person. <laughs> Don't make the mistake, no matter what level you're at, of getting 
the person in there just because you want some burden off your shoulders. They may cause you more grief hiring the wrong person. It could be a good person, but good's not right. But you have to ensure yourself and know exactly what the right person looks like. And Tommy, you've done that. You've got the system. You have the procedures. you got the training. So if someone's listening they want a job, like they should want to come work for a person like you because you can make them more than they are today. To have more than you have now, you've got to become more. And hiring a company like yours or other groups that can do that, make those people more valuable for our society, for our country. And really, that's the only thing we can do for our country. The biggest service that we can do as owners and businesses and operators is increase and make our people better. And yeah, develop people. You got to develop people. I mean, I look at it and I look down my hallway at a lot of executives and, you know, I have, I'm hiring my third assistant, so I have three. And one of the things I've noticed is people say they'll outwork me. And I, I get a lot of people, a lot of the best selling authors, everybody on stage says, I work hard. And yeah. I say, well, I'll out delegate you. And that's why I work so well with people to help me because, first of all, I recognize my weaknesses. Yeah. And I'm very good at the delegation. I, I've been really working hard at it and giving people the right expectations. I cannot go to my assistant, go book me a ticket to Michigan. That wouldn't be fair because she might book a Southwest flight with three stops and don't put yeah. my TSA number in, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I need to be very specific on my expectations and go through this and delegate properly. And I look, and a lot of people can't hire an assistant. And if you can't even hire a really good executive assistant to start out, and learn how to delegate, learn how to give SOPs, build a manual for success. Someone was in here. We did a big shop tour today with about 15 guys. And he goes, how do you pay? He goes, I'm in California. He goes, how do you pay? They had a uh, an HVAC company. And he said, if you pay for hours, so that's how we pay. We pay billable hour to our installers. He said, how is that possible if they have 70 hours and they finish in 30. I go, well, my price book is set up on bill. How do you price if your price book is not set up on hours? This is how long this job should take, just like a mechanic. This, on average, for a pretty good tech, a seven out of 10, this will take three and a half hours. If it takes him two, he still gets three and a half. It takes him four. Now, that is more than time and a half. Everything I do is paying. The average person here is 85,000. So you're going to make... We don't have anybody even close to minimum or hourly rates. But I said, your price book is built on. He goes, well, what if they're running like electric? And I go, well, you're billing for that. So you're charging the customer for that. So you could pay for that. Well, how else do you build a system that's got a predictable outcome? If you don't have your price book set up for billable hours. And there's a lot of different ways to get here. You know, you're, you're measuring in right. squares. There's a million ways to get here, but I just... I think the best franchise model, which is a great business, should have expected outcomes. And unless you're working really hard on your performance pay, pay structures that match the price book that have a scorecard, and you're putting the time, effort, and energy into those, and you're constantly training, and everybody knows where they sit at every day, every minute, they've got access to that data. And they can look at themselves versus the mean. I want to know who I could call to have a higher conversion rate. I want to understand a higher average ticket. I want to understand who could sell better service agreements. I want to understand the best market in the company and who I should be talking to. Because my secret sauce is going and visiting the best of the best. I find companies that do better than me in a different industry. I go, I call it R&D, rip off and duplicate and apply it to garage doors. Why not go to the smartest, most successful? But I don't go to two ten billion billion. My next step is, you know, I go to a billion dollar company because that's where I'm going for. 
but I know I can't go from 10 million to 10 billion because it just, there's no way to get there. there I just can't see the future, but uh, it was a good one though. Your most successful franchise owner, you said you got the one doing 14 million. What are his attributes to make us successful? Well, you read in the intro, some bullet points there, which are, are definitely factual, but our, process today in the franchise system is heavily weighed on marketing and sales conversions he comes he came to the franchise with a background of in-home sales communication skills he understood the processes and he had the core competencies to train and lead sales teams and that's a very important part of any business especially starting out you've got to move you got to take your leads and convert them to opportunities. And then you got to take those opportunities and convert them to revenue generating agreements. And he had that skill set. So that's the core competency that he had and came in with. And he functions really well in that space. Now, some interesting things there are the things that you made note to is now he has to keep pouring into himself. That way he can pour out into other people in new areas that he has to turn into an actual leader and learn how to delegate and trust people to do the things which he's been doing in order to continue to scale and grow new territories. He purchased two new territories in throughout the Kentucky region. And in order to replicate himself and his people, he has to trust the processes systems that we have. He also has to trust the people to do it. If anyone here has kids, you may know what that's like to let them go to school for the first time or to go to high school for the first time or go to college for the first time or to get married and leave the house or Whatever that first time they leave, you're truly just thinking, have I done my job developing this person to be able to go out into the world and hunt and prepare the food for themselves? And I think every business owner goes through that. That's why I see owning a business is like having a child. You go through all the stages. If I had a kid, you would know exactly the stages I'm referring to. And a business is just like that. You mentioned earlier, like a business in the beginning is a lot of work. And so is an infant. It's a lot. Of, they're always crying and pooping and peeing. And they always need something. Mommy, mommy. And that's just most of that's just crying. So and business is the same way. And it's just like seasons. There's, we're surrounded by four seasons and a business has four seasons. Your life has four seasons. And once you understand the seasons, you definitely start to navigate. And I believe I have a better understanding of your business and how business should operate. But I like your point on delegating. And when a person has a core competency or a strength in a certain area, they have such a hard time giving it up. I've noticed that in the franchises, we have strong production people and we have strong salespeople and who are owners and strong administrative financial people who are really good at finances. They try to save themselves to success. You're just trying not to lose in that scenario. Like if you're going to try to win, you got to quit trying to save seven cents. Like let the staff accountant worry about savings. You need to worry about the top line and the bottom line. Let, let, let the staff accounting or the accountants worry about the middle lines. That stuff's not important. Like it doesn't produce net profitability. I know everybody's going to argue with me. It does. It doesn't. Without top line, the bottom lines, the middle lines don't matter. You got to have top line first. You got to focus on that. It's the first line you got to look at. But back to the delegating, that's a great topic that you could probably have. And if not, sure, you have to show in the future on what that looks like to be able to become a different version of yourself, improve yourself. That way you can keep pouring into people and scaling your business. You should always be trying to get out of your current job if you're an owner of a business or in the franchise system. It doesn't matter. If I'm currently doing, I'm the owner and I'm running sales meetings, like you need to get out of a sales meeting role and hire a sales manager as soon as possible. You said it earlier, like good salespeople don't make good sales managers. No, they don't. <laughs> no, good salespeople make good salespeople. Keep them selling. 
and find a good coach who loves coaching Little League or something and let them coach good salespeople because they're good at teaching and caressing and patting people on the back and tell you're doing a great job. Keep it up. You're going to knock it out today. And you need people like that to coach great salespeople. Great salespeople don't make good sales leaders. That's for sure. I'm, I'm sure everybody who has some strong salespeople know they're all divas and they're very great at the gifted at what they do. And they need to keep doing that. And most of them don't want to lead because they love being the center of attention. Anyway, delegation is a great topic. I love it. And it's one that's probably the most underestimated and undervalued in all business because so many people are scared to grow. And they don't know how. At the end of the day, they don't know how to grow themselves to grow their businesses. And that's a huge thing that we focus on is making sure our leaders understand at some point you're going to want to sell your business. What's it going to be worth? How do you calculate it? And can it run itself? you like, I haven't, I don't know, don't get angry at me, but I haven't been at work all year. I know go to an office ever. I still run my business just like everybody else. Why would I need to go to a location? Like what value I devalues my team members who in deployed, like we don't employ anybody here. We have, we deploy people to accomplish the mission like soldiers. I don't see the general Sherman on the field. That's not his core competency. And if you can get your owners or owners of businesses, they get that, adopt that mindset of delegation, but also transitioning out of what they do daily, which is tough because we, we're all habit-formed humans. We, we're stubborn. It's hard for us to change our habits. So anyway, I digress, but that's a, no. great, that's a, great, that's a great topic, Tommy. I mean, that's a, you, can, you can go for hours and create a whole show on that one. Well, the problem I have, I'll just tell you this. I was speaking with a buddy the other day, and it's the same thing with employees or owners or managers, but specifically to small business owners, is they come into this thing saying, listen, we're trying to build a life for our family. That's their core thing, right? That's their why is for their wife, their kids, their parents, whatever it might be. They want to be able to do what they want when they want with who they want. And the first thing they do is they go out and they make a hundred grand. They're working their tail off and then they hire a few good employees and now they're making 200 grand, but their lifestyle is moving along with it. Yep. That all of a sudden they move to a nicer neighborhood. They got to buy that new SUV. Yeah, And hey, listen, I want a Harley and plus I want to play, mm-hmm. I want to be at my kids' soccer games yeah. and I want to go to the best soccer training. You know, you, you got all these things and now all of a sudden you're making 300 grand, but you can't afford to hire that great person because you want a great person that's hungry like you that wants to make money. But he just says, yeah. I want to be an entrepreneur, or she says, and you're going, I can't pay you that because now you're going to ruin my lifestyle. So they, they become a prison to their own business. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it happens all the time. I see this all the time where they're like, man, but we're going on that vacation. If I hire this person, I'm barely going to make payroll. And it is a true obstacle to try to have delayed gratification and not buy all those things and say, I'm going to pay it back to the source that's paying me because I'm going to 5X this business. And then I could make whatever I want and just living a little bit below your means. And it's so hard for people because they're like, well, we deserve this. We took all the chances. We worked hard for three years. We deserve this house. We deserve those vacations. But now I kind of flip it. When I wrote my new book, Elevate, I'm like, you deserve your people to win first. Your dream has got to be so big that everybody else's dream could happen within yours. Hmm. And if you're set up correctly, you can win. And I just, it's so hard for people to understand that concept because they go, well, they didn't put anything on the line, but now people have, they have options. What makes me want to work for you? And I don't think it's necessarily the money. I think a lot of it is, do I feel appreciated? And you know, there's, I interviewed a guy that wrote the five languages of the workplace and how people want to be felt and how they want to be 
just recognize. And I think everybody's a little bit differently. Some people don't want to be at the front of the room. Some people want to be, some people like trophies. Some people like hugs. Some people just want to, for me, a lot of people want me to be their, their dad in a lot of ways. They want to say, good job. They want to say, listen, you know, blue collar, we didn't have, not all of us had the greatest upbringing and we're looking for support. We're looking for a family. And I think it's important for me to show up as much as possible and congratulate people and just see them and just be seen. But I digress off of that. I'm just curious, you know, we, we could finish up. I just got a few more questions. Franchise or owning franchises. A lot of times you hear that that's the franchisor's locations. What are your thoughts on that? I'm confused when they don't have a operating location of at least one. I know some brands in the space and home improvement space that don't have any locations and they didn't have any and they've sold locations. It's like, wow, that's a little confusing to me. Like what's the, what was the test model? Like there wasn't one. You sold, <laughs> you sold that to somebody. Yeah. Like, dude, congratulations. How's that working? Uh, what's the measurable? I don't know. Good question. What's your measurable? They're paying us royalties. Okay. I guess that's it then. That's confusing to me. You know, some start and have locations. Obviously, and they sell the PE and they don't have any more locations. They just become a franchisor. And that's that makes sense. But we hold locations for petri dishes to ensure we continue to sharpen the skill sets, number one, and we can test the opportunities that we come up with. You know, every people call things problems in America. And another language is that word doesn't exist the word problem. A word problem means a math equation in reality which means it has an outcome. And you know, I hear people saying all the time, like, they don't have any money, and they think it's a problem. Like, not having money is not a problem. Like, what are you talking about? That's an outcome of you not doing anything. Like, so fix the problem. Not having money is not the problem. That's you not doing anything. So become productive, become valuable, and money will be attracted to you. You're chasing money. You'll never have any. You have no value. You bring no value to the marketplace. So what value will you ever receive from somebody? None, because you don't give anything. If you don't give, you can't receive. So we give to the our franchisees through developing processes and improving systems daily in our locations to ensure they have the best outcome. That way they don't have to call and complain or have issues or should we should do this or that. Like we like, yeah, we, we're on that. We got that. Here it is. Or we're working on that. That's in beta. So on and so forth. So I I think for me personally, just my personal opinion, of course, and all this is that we've shared today is I believe it's really important. If I was a franchisee, I'd want a franchisor to be operating something that way that I know they're improving the system for my benefit, not me being a lab rat and watching me fail and, oh, let's fix that. That's problematic, I feel, in business if, if the franchisees, the one fixing the problems, are coming up with the problems and then financially having to pay for the problem. And then, like, oh, my goodness, let's put a system together for that challenge. That's not doesn't seem right. So I'm not saying that it still can't happen. It can still happen. Well, I think what you're saying is there are mistakes even within our 36 markets and the people that come forward and you reward mistakes in a certain way to say thank you for realizing that that wasn't on our checklist. So we're going to give you a thousand bucks. And I mean, li literally at the end of the day, it's never perfect. I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. It's huh. a living, moving organism, this business. But yeah. rewarding, it's one of the things I've learned in the lean process is finding... <sighs> Who knew the assembly line better than Henry Ford? Probably the workers. I'm sure one day a guy said, listen, I'm doing the wheel and the bearings and the rotors. 
I don't know what a Model T had back then, but he said, I could probably go triple the speed if I only was doing the rotors. And hopefully Henry said, okay, listen, we're going to get a specialist in this role. And, you know, first it probably started out as three people on the assembly line. Then it went to seven. Then it went to 12. Then it went to 100. And I think that that's important. Now it's more robotics. But, um, yeah, no, listen, this is really, really great information. And you're one of the few people I've had that own a franchise. I'm glad it's doing well. You made a comment earlier that I just wanted to come back on is uh, you said there's some that you're going to do within the home service space and some, you know, out of it. I'm just curious. Is there something you like or don't like about a home service franchise or you, because you said both, right? And maybe there's advantages. Uh, yeah. So I'm sure you get the question to ask to yourself quite a bit about your businesses. Do you guys do new construction? Do you do commercial? All that stuff. And the answer for us is no to both. Anything that you have to be potentially thrown to a pool of bidding and the outcome is to be the lowest common denominator obviously becomes very difficult to operate marginally successful, I feel, in a way in which we want to operate. I want to control, like my whole existence operates on the foundational belief of I control my dominion, my environment. It's, it's up to me. And like I'm going to work at a 55 gross margin at a minimum of 19 net money after taxes. And if I can't do that, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And if the franchisees can't enjoy that, I'm not like we're we're not going to like it's not a good system. So I love the home improvement space today because of Paul and Mary lunchbox. There's eight needs every human has. You were touching about you know you're talking about the five love languages or the work languages of team members or whatever. And but truly, there's eight basic needs that every human has to have met in their lives. If you that's like people talk about love. Love is important but love is not doesn't keep a relationship together one way a relationship stays together in any type of relationship franchisee franchisor team member owner wife husband is by the other party meeting each other's needs and as soon as that quits happening the relationship falters it starts eroding and we start looking for somebody else to fulfill those needs elsewhere so today the homeowners i don't know i don't know all your numbers or what you do exactly in every space for that i do apologize but if you have a business in the home improvement space today of any kind doesn't matter and your average ticket was north of five thousand dollars and they have a problem when they called you ring 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 hello home improvement people awesome i have a problem great we can fix problems you come out you fix the problem you tell them today's problems the solution to today's problem is five thousand dollars they're like "Uh uh-oh like I saw the problem. I gave them a solution, and that's what they want. But I, my solution, their problem, causes a new problem. They don't have $5,000. So that comes into unsecured financing. And I'm telling you, folks, if you're operating unsecured financing, like 90% of us do, it's going to go away real soon. And it's going to be a real problem for home improvement sector. This is why you see the P&E firms buying up the retro companies, because they operate out of the only money that's going to be left in this country. And that's going to be the insurance proceeds from storms or fires or floods. It's guaranteed revenue because they're forced to pay for it legally through having homeowners insurance. So they're forced to pay into something legally, and then they know that's going to be guaranteed revenue back to the P&E firms through those only proceeds left in the marketplace in the next 60 months. There will be no more unsecured money. They'll be, it'll be there, but it won't be unsecured. And when that changes, I mean, you're already seeing it happening. If you're if you're in, in that space, I'm in that space. I, I do we do hard money lending, so we know the space. And it's 
<laughs> it's going to be interesting. So when I say I like it today because we have the ability to do unsecured notes, and when that goes away, how will Paul and Mary Lunchbox pay for the $37,000 average ticket I have for the roof? How are they going to pay for that? The average income in this country is sixty, what, $64,000 households. Average income for the, all the country, 64000 How are they going to pay for a $37,000 roof? They're going right. to, well, the, the only way that I know is there's programs in a lot of states that when you're adding energy, because right now the whole country's on a huge energy kick, is when you're able to take an equity line. Now, if you have no equity, yeah. and plus the it's rates long. are going up, so the equity loan, can you afford the payments if you don't have the, the equity ratios? I, it is kind of a conundrum, um, yeah. but this is how big companies are going to get bigger. Because if they've yep. got the flex and the funds to be able to loan and put liens on the houses, and I don't know how long we've got, but you see some things. And the Fed has come out and said there's, it's going to be a, a pretty weary road ahead of us, but they think there's certain ideas and things that will prevail. But you're right that this is a question that I can't answer. I'm not in charge of how much money we print and getting control of inflation and making sure that middle class still stays prevalent so we don't, but you're going to see it widening. You're going to see the rich get richer and you're going to see the poor get poorer, unfortunately. But uh, you know, I've, my brother-in-law's in India right now and he's seen like 10 kids in a van and they're singing and they're having their best life ever. And they don't take a lot to keep happy. Totally. No. And so happiness is not how much money you have. I just no, but it's gonna be you're gonna be unhappy when you can't pay for your roof or your your heating system's not working in Colorado Springs and you can't buy one because you don't have gonna have to. Your life. Well, I'll tell you what you can afford. You can afford a small home roof. <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen to some of these houses, but I guarantee you, BlackRock and Blackstone will be there to buy them all up and rent back to you. Yeah, it, that, yeah. So that's a whole different. Con- so we you know you obviously you surely pay attention to it as well. Sixty percent of the homes in the country today are owned by a corporation. Sixty percent of your homeowners are the homes that you would service are owned by a corporate major corporation, which tells me only forty percent of the market are owner occupied. That's a problem. So the the markets get smaller every day. Of owner occupied homes that buy services from my company. So our model is Paul and Mary Lunchbox, who owns their home, has a blue-collar job, earns $64,000 a year, and wants to make a payment for 220 months on, on a roof, 240 months. So that's what we do. 99 bucks a month, sign here. Have a great day. Thanks for having us. And that's the same model for if I was doing overhead doors, same model. $5 a day keeps the garage door away or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But it's just it's all going to be what can they afford out of their free cash flow. And when that dries up, and the credit markets dry up, there's going to be a huge problem in the home improvement space, and the P&E firms are going to be stuck holding a lot of junk. <laughs> You're like, crap, but whatever. And so if you got a P&E firm calling you right now, go ahead and please sell your businesses, because get out while you can. You won't be able to in a few years. There'll be no market left. But I, it's, it's all cyclical, though. It's all going to come back. Everything does. Everything has a season to it. There's good times and bad times. There's okay times. Like you're either going into a problem or coming out of one. Or you're in one. That's how life goes. And it'll come back, but the question is, how long do you want to be in it? I don't know. We've seen this before. This is not the, the first resetting of things. And I'm sure, Tommy, you went through it, and your listeners have been through it. You went through the recession. 
went through COVID and whatever that's all about. And it all puts strain on businesses. And you have to be able to keep persisting because you have a goal in mind that you want to get to. Because the purpose never changes. How you get there may change, but the purpose destination never changes for us and for you. But we have to be flexible enough to be able to change the changes. And change is coming in the financial markets. And the change is definitely happening in technology and how people interact with businesses and how we need to interact. And we keep trying to teach people how to buy from us, but they don't, we're not listening to how people want us, how we should be selling to them. Uh, we're trying to force them to buy the way we want to buy. And it's uh, ridiculous. I mean, I see so many companies sitting down at the table for two, two or three hours doing a long, harsh, sharp angle closes and pitches for two hours. All decision makers present. It's just laughable. I think it's hilarious. That's so cool. You took you two hours to sell one job. If you're lucky, 10% of the time, I sold a hundred and 10 minutes. <laughs> with AI, you know, so it's all going to change quickly within the next 36 months. And then whoever has the funding pool to build a fund, Paul and Mary will win the day. And then the third part of that will be who owns the labor pool. And no one's paying attention to that, but that's, that's all we focus on is the labor pool. Like we're gobbling up the labor. And if I own the labor, then I own the space. So that's what we're looking at is who's going to do it? Who's going to do the work? And when I own the workers, it doesn't really matter anymore. Now, that's a strong word saying owning. But when I have all the opportunities for them to come do the work and people become very loyal to that, I'm sure you see that as well. Your people are loyal because you reimburse them properly. Where else do they want to go? If they can, you can, if I can earn $85,000 a year working with your company, helping people solve overhead door problems. That's a pretty good living, I'm sure, in that space. I don't know, but it sounds like a pretty good living. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit about selling estimates with AI? Just got a request. Yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, so I have our whole development team. So I don't service tight and that stuff. We we own the CRM. We own the company. We own the we we own all. I do all in house. So we have I have our own developers. We've been developing that for over sixteen months. I mean, we saw the writing was on the wall ten years ago, and we started ten years ago. It's just machine learning wasn't there, at least for me to. It was there. It wasn't available to the market. So it took us about one hundred fifty thousand roofs to get the machine learning down to be able to measure instantly any home anywhere in the country for window siding gutters roofing doesn't matter sidewalks i can do it all through a buy so and i can have I, a consumer for us right now can buy a roof within seven minutes on our platform it's not launched yet but in the, all the beta in seven minutes fully funded and they can schedule install when they want it installed and they walk them through the whole entire process and how to interact with that how that process works so is everybody going to do that no no no, because Paul and Mary today, our average consumer still is 50 years of age. And that goes back to what I said earlier. We're going to retrain somebody how to buy from us. We don't, I don't want to do that. And the market's already doing that. But I'm sure most people today are buying things from Amazon or online. This plane behind me, I never saw it before I bought it. I've got, I'm not bragging, but I got a lot of fancy stuff. Never saw any of it. Just bought it, delivered it, unloaded it from a semi truck, put it in the garage. I, I yeah. bought homes in the Bahamas, never saw them. I mean, well, the world. I, I do think yeah. you're right about a lot of this stuff, but I don't think the world is ready to get commoditized in home service yet because they want somebody to show up and look. Because yeah. if I diagnosed your car over the phone and it's more complicated, yeah. I definitely don't know unless you've got technology that tells you how does the wood look under the roof. And yeah, you should. You should. You should have that. Yeah. You. 
I hear this all the time from people. I, this isn't the first time they've had this conversation. So, and most people are scared. Here's what I like about business. 99% of the business owners are full of fear. They can hardly function on, they say things like, what if it's got four layers of roofing on it? And I need two dumpsters and it all needs three decks. I'm like, yeah, so what's your point, man? Uh, I, don't, I don't understand your question. Well, you're going to lose money. Why did I lose money? I, I still don't understand anything you're saying to me. It makes no sense. Well, like I charge $300 a square. Well, that's your first problem. Like uh, what day does that make sense? The material costs 280 So why would you be charging 300 Wait, first of all, why are we even having this conversation? Who are you? <laughs> you know, what are you talking about? So all the haters who operate in fear and ignorance, they can't make sense of anything that I'm saying. The market is in no, has no idea what a roof costs. The market I agree that if you're asking go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the Paul and Mary have no idea what the cost to fix their Mercedes or their Buick. It doesn't matter. Like here's what it costs, here's what's in the cover, here's here's the program, it's this much per month. Uh, here's a DocuSign, sign it, pick your date you want the install. It doesn't matter. So all the small print and all that stuff is really important. And for us, our model that we operate has doesn't. So this, for instance, if Paul's house, Paul Lunchbox, he has a 35-square roof. It's and he So for some reason, the, our, our technology mismanaged the outcome to the algorithm. So it's... We figured it was one layer and walkable, but it was non-walkable, three layers, it needs redect. And it should have been 80,000 bucks, but we only charge 50. Then that's a problem for sure. But for me, that doesn't bother me because we're pricing things in a way in which covers some of that. And also the backside of all the AI has open book to all the public information on when the homes are built. So there's a lot of things that we take in consideration on that equation on how to price it correctly based on the information we, we can obtain from the marketplace. Right. The first thing, obviously, foundationally is a measurement. That's simple. That's the easiest thing. The second thing is grabbing the legal data from different municipalities and counties and tax records. Right. Yep. We do a pretty good job of that. That's something that you can yeah. take a lot of advantage of. So it's all there. You know, there's so many systems today and companies that do that to be able to mine that data. But to be able to crunch it within a few seconds has been the most difficult thing. But we got that down. Like I said, it takes, you can go through the whole process in seven minutes if you're fast. Like you don't really care about seeing your home digitized or not digitized, but in the uploading the photo, which you have to do. You can choose a street view, but a lot of things are grainy. So if you upload your own photo, then you can can have a better idea of changing. Most people in the test market, are spending about 20 minutes on choosing different products in our model. And so the average time consumer day going, going to the, the close process is still about 47 minutes, believe it or not. But it's going to spend a bunch of time messing around looking at different things and you give them the opportunity to do so. So my goal was trying to streamline the revenue generation down to 10 minutes. Think about revenue generation today. You know, any of your companies, anybody listening, you get a lead, however you digest it or take it in. Doesn't matter. I don't care. However, whatever first point of contact is, and then what do you do with it? Do you send a person out to talk to them? What's the schedule like? Is it, is it tomorrow? Is it today? Is it two weeks from now? And then once that's done, let's say it's two weeks from now, and you sell it. What's your install schedule like? Is it today, tomorrow, three weeks from now? So we're going from first contact, maybe eight weeks of revenue generation. That's insane. I mean, why would you want to wait eight weeks to get money? That makes no sense to me. I went like eight minutes, man. So, like we, the home improvement sector is so offerings in the Stone Age, it's it's just insane. 
most of them, most of it. I said, yeah, I'm, I think it's, I think we can say it. Most of it in totality is operating in the Stone Age. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah, right? I'm not saying I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying that. No, I agree the, with the, you. The map. That most people don't have any idea how to read an income statement, a balance sheet. Most people have no idea uh, what they're making money on or what they're not. They're not priced accurately, whether it's too much on one aspect or too little on another. And most people just, they're just trying to make a living instead of building a business that operates without them. So I think you're dead on. Yeah, they, they own a job, don't they? At the end of the day, a lot of them. I mean, yeah, if you got to show up to work, it's, it's a job. I enjoy my yeah. job. I enjoy what I do. If I didn't, you, you know, I hired for all my weaknesses and I've delegated everything I don't like. So I get to come in. I mean, I'm on a podcast for an hour and a half and I do this yeah. all day. And I get to learn That's- and I get to train my brain and learn a great ideas. And I got a lot of notes off of this. So, you know, that's, I think that's I'm, not that's not a job, though, Tommy. That's your work. And you can never quit your work. And you, you can never be fired from your work. That's like that's your that's your passion. Now, a job you can quit a job. You can be fired from but your work. man, you can never lose that. That's what's so cool about what you're doing, because you you truly enjoy it. I would never call what you do a job. I think that's your work. That's what you're. That's what you were made to do to impact and train and inspire people. That's like and you probably get energized from that. I'm sure of it. And yeah. you you probably it feeds you and keeps you going. So that's your work. Not, that's not a job. Like a job people hate. <laughs> well, they work. Your work. You love your work. Hope you love your work. I bet you I do. do. Yeah. Well, Sounds like someone. You. Uh, if someone wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, oh, like they can call me. They can. I, I look to the west at three p.m. Eastern time every every day for smoke signals, and or they can email me at Kevin at honestaberoofing.com. It's pretty simple but long, but it's just Kevin at honestaberoofing.com. Was there the easiest way? So Kevin at honestaberoofing.com. What is uh, what's a book other than like the E Myth and the you know the, I could probably go on ten of them you know Robert Kiyosaki Rich Dad Poor Dad but yeah is there a book that really stood out to you that really helped you yeah there is and this is where people get real creepy on me like oh he's one of those guys and I'm like I am one of those guys there's a library of books there's sixty six of them in this library that are just fascinating when I first found them I was confused when I first read the first one. And I read it like for like 20 times, his first book in this library, 66 books. I was amazed on how the actual, finally I found like the roadmap, the owner's manual for life. And when I read it, it was so simple. It's this book called the Bible. In the first book, in it was called Genesis. And in Genesis, God gave man the five steps of success. And the cool thing is, I'm watching you do it right now. His first mission statement, to the man, well, not the first one, but one of them was be fruitful. And then multiply that fruit and then replenish it. Think about business right now. Fruit, like what's your fruit in your business? Your people. How do you multiply yourself, your fruit inside you, right? And then what do you do to replenish it? Then it says subdue. Subdue it. Now, subdue means like management, control, organize it. And then and it says have dominion over. Now, I, you got like 35 locations and you're getting close to a billion bucks in revenue. Man, it's sick, man. That's what we call dominion. You've, got, you've been fruitful. You've multiplied it, you've replenished it, which means you've got system procedures, so on and so forth. You've subdued it, and you've got dominion, ownership, management, control over your own empire. And that's what every person was given if they read that basic manual. And all through that book, that manual for life, basic instructions before leading Earth, B-I-B-L-E, 
gives you all the content you need to be successful in business. That's God's first five steps in business was be fruitful. And by the way, the fruit, he didn't say be seedful, but he didn't say be like produce seed. He said be fruitful, which means the seed's already inside you. The seed, the fruit of your idea, the fruit that you've been given to give to life. Like I don't go to an apple tree for the tree. I go to the apple tree for the apples. I don't care about the apple tree. I want some apples, baby. I give you some apples. And that's why people come to you and your business because you've got fruit growing out of you. Fruit of 85 grand a year on average. Like, come on, dog. Let's go ahead and give yourself a high five because how many jobs have that type of pay in home improvement industry? You know it's not very many. That's some huge fruit. And then you're developing people. You're replenishing it. You're subduing it. You've got management over it. And you've got your dominion all up in there. That's right there in chapter one in that book. So if I was going to say anything, just grab the owner's manual for life and read it first. That'd be my first lesson. And then when it comes to human books (laughs) written by man for business, man, there's so many good ones. And you've already named a couple. I'd have to get in my library there. But Michael River, obviously, The E-Myth, that's a great book. And that's it. The way he put that book in story format, I think, is was brilliant. Amy and everybody in the, the, re, the revision of that. All good stuff. I love Jack Welch and the GE way. I believe that book is, if you go through that and the things, his, it has a lot of his personal notes in there, depending on how you want to digest it. Obviously, the audio version is good, uh, unabridged, or just get the book and read it. It's a lot of cliff notes from him personally. Uh, he was America's CEO. So a lot of great lessons. I mean, can you imagine running a multinational business and all the things that that person would have seen and had to interact with and how he dealt, dealt with managers and then the tool they built? And I forget the city that they where, where it was at in Parksville or something. I, I kind of forget, but it's been a few years. So that was an amazing book as well. And so many others. Grabbed my phone and grabbed the library because a lot of I, I do listen to when I fly. I don't recall all the titles but one, no. one of my other favorites this guy's more of a real estate guy but i i do appreciate grant cardone i i believe he's got a lot of good content out there as well and depending on where you're at in life but the 10x rule i, I believe is a today's version of think and grow rich if, yep. if you ask me I, I believe it's just a kind of a spiff or a, a spin on think and grow rich but pulling hill and Napoleon has several books, too, that I believe that haven't been fully appreciated. Uh, one of them is Outwitting the Devil. I think that's a phenomenal book. I love the writing of it and how it's written. There's a lot of backstory there, but we won't go into it for here. But those are good books. Obviously, I think the holy grail for business always, as we just said earlier, we had mentioned maybe, was Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. Yeah, I've been through that thing a gazillion, a gazillion times. I think Grant kind of just redid that for today's world in the 10X rule. And Outwitting the Devil, though, from Napoleon Hill also, Outwitting the Devil, really pretty cool read. Very important. I, I think for me, I align very biblically with biblical principles in a weird sense on how so many people just drift through life. And Napoleon speaks a lot about the drifter drifting. And it's, it's difficult to hit something when you're shooting at everything, but not aiming for anything. So I see a lot of people doing that. So that's an interesting book if you kind of feel lost and you need some help and some guidance. Outwitting a devil will be a good place to start. Kevin, I got a lot of notes, yeah. man. This has been excellent. Right. Thank you for landing your plane for this podcast. I really got a lot out of it, and I got a lot of great comments here. They they really enjoyed your uh, show. There's 26 people still on, but this usually 
We just passed our millionth download. So once it hits the podcast, probably in the next three weeks, uh, you'll probably be getting a lot of uh, emails. So this has been great, brother. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Anytime you want some more gas, if you need me to come back, I'd be more happy to do so. Yeah, no, I really enjoy this. And uh, we'll definitely get to know each other in the future. And uh, I got your number here, so I'll be in touch. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody, for paying attention. Be great. <laughs> great stuff. Thank you, buddy. We'll see you. Before I let you go, I want to let everybody know that Elevate is out and ready to buy. I can share with you how I attracted a winning team of over 700 employees in over 20 states. The insights in this book are powerful and can be applied to any business or organization. It's a real game changer for anyone looking to build and develop a high-performing team like over here at A1 Garage Door Service. So if you want to learn the secrets that help me transform my team from stealing the toilet paper to a group of 700-plus employees rowing in the same direction, head over to elevateandwin.com forward slash podcast and grab a copy of the book. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch up with you next time on the podcast.